Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. In today's Gospel reading, we hear an account from a very significant activity and pivotal moment in Jesus' earthly ministry. Here, he begins his journey to Jerusalem, where he will suffer and die. He knows, even now, what will happen to him there. And Jesus is not a victim of circumstance when he gets to Jerusalem. He went there with a purpose in mind, and he went there on purpose. But here, in chapter 9, he begins his journey to the cross. He starts his own exodus. And on this pilgrimage to Jerusalem, he meets a great many people. St. Luke writes for us in his usual, very thorough way. He records the events based on his own investigations and his interviews with those who have spent their lives following Jesus in his life and ministry. Now, one of the techniques that St. Luke often employs is that he takes very great care to tell us just who it is that Jesus is talking to at any particular moment or event. Later on, to the crowds he will encounter, Jesus will issue words of warning and calls to conversion. In chapter 12, he gives them warning against the leaven of the Pharisees. To those in chapter 14 who will be converted and who will follow him, he gives positive instructions on the ways of discipleship and the great costs of that discipleship, such as that parable about salt and its saltiness. And to still others in chapter 14, those who will reject faith in him, Jesus tells parables of rejection like those about the wedding banquet. The connection between Jesus' rejection there in chapter 14 and Elijah's rejection in our Old Testament lesson for today is quite clear. For Jesus is the new and the greater Elijah, one sent by God to be anointed as both prophet and king over Israel. This time, however, the king is one who will be anointed in blood, who will be crowned on the cross, and who will be enthroned in heaven forevermore. However, the first people that Jesus meets on his journey toward Jerusalem to be crucified are those in this Samaritan village. Now, these Samaritans did not want this traveling Jewish rabbi and, and prophet to be hosted in their city. And so when James and John see how the Lord is rejected, they ask whether or not they should call down fire from heaven to burn the place up. And this is not just an idle threat on their part. For Jesus had already sent out the twelve at least once before to preach the kingdom of God and to heal. And they knew the protocol that he told them to follow. Take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money. And do not have two tunics. And whatever house you enter, stay there. And from there, depart. And wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. And now, not only have they been rejected, but their teacher Jesus has been rejected too. It's a time of coming judgment, Jesus has told them. And James and John, they want to 
bring it on right now. And yet, it is just not quite that time at this moment. And so Jesus rebukes them, and they move on. As they travel this day, they meet three other would-be disciples along the way. And ever moving onward toward Jerusalem, Jesus encounters and interacts with each one. Taken together, these three episodes paint a stark picture of Jesus' radical call to discipleship. This is the way of the cross, the way of rejection. This is not the wide and easy way. This is the narrow and the hard way. The goal of the journey of this cross is where Jesus will be lifted up. It's a trip to death and to burial with Jesus on Good Friday and to resurrection with Him on that Easter Sunday morning. And it's a journey that is ultimately headed toward Jesus' final ascension where He will be lifted up into the heavens to sit at the right hand of the Father in glory forevermore. The ultimate goal, of course, is that we would find a high point of affirmation and eternal life in Christ. But that path will first pass through a valley of self-denial, a valley of the shadow of death. And in order to travel rightly along this path, we must not hesitate to break all of the ties that bind, even those ties of family connections and obligations. For the only family that really matters is the family of God. Still, these men that Jesus encounters on His journey, they want to set their own timetables and their own conditions to follow Jesus. We hear the words, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. These are very hard sayings because the way of discipleship is hard as well. Now Luke does not record the responses of any of these three men that Jesus encountered, these would-be disciples. The question, in fact, if whether or not they followed Jesus is not nearly as important as answering these questions. Whether or not you will hear the call of Jesus and follow Him. And whether or not you will persevere in faith in Jesus along the journey that you have started. A few years ago, there's a widely circulated media report that originated with the Associated Press. At that time, it was announced that Finland's Evangelical Lutheran Church had chosen a new leader for the Diocese of Helsinki, the capital of that nation. But left out of that report, whether by the reporter's ignorance to ask the right questions or perhaps conveniently because of the reporter's own religious views, is the sad news that this new bishop didn't even believe the Nicene Creed to be true. And yet earlier, this bishop had promised to follow Jesus wherever he goes. You have to say such things if you want to be a bishop in the church, of course. But this is the worst kind of self-serving hypocrisy. Wanting to lead the church, but refusing to uphold its beliefs. 
This bishop will not bow, will not submit to the teachings of the Lord. But this is just a sign of our times. Not all that many years ago, it used to be that children followed their parents in the faith. Parents brought their children first to the font to be baptized, and then faithfully to worship and to Sunday school every week. And then when the right time came, they brought them to confirmation class as well. Yes, yes, sometimes there were many outcries along the way. Dad, when are you going to stop making me come to church every week? Why do we need to go all the time? And the wise father would answer, when you know enough to stop asking those two questions. But something has changed rather radically in recent decades, hasn't it? It hasn't been too long ago since sports practices weren't just optional on Sunday, but they had somehow taken over the day and even games became prevalent. And coinciding with that change in our societal priorities came the idea that children ought to be allowed to grow up and to make a choice about the faith for themselves. This is not just a case of wanton neglect of our parental responsibilities in the Lord's book. Sadly, this idea has even become prevalent within the church. We are quickly leaving that age when the children followed their parents' leadership on the path of pilgrimage, the journey to the cross of being bound to Jesus. But we pray that sometimes in their futures, these same children that we have brought to the font will again hear the invitation to follow our Lord. If they don't renounce and they don't reject their baptism... One day, indeed, they will hear and follow again according to God's promise. Nevertheless, we can no longer rely on parents to do their God-given job of bringing up their children in the way that they should go. We can only hope that such children, those who were made new creations in Christ by the Holy Spirit in the waters of baptism, but were then cast adrift by careless or lazy or apathetic parents, will hear the voice of someone who preaches to them the kingdom of God. And we can also hope that when this day comes, they will not be forced to reject their father and their mother, their brother and their sister, those who themselves were once in the ark of salvation, but have since jumped overboard. Our ancient fathers in the Christian faith preached like this too. Cyril of Alexandria said that the first would-be disciple in today's Gospel lesson, the one who claims to be willing to follow Jesus anywhere, is being presumptuous. He's attempting to grab for himself apostolic honor without realizing that to follow Jesus means to be connected and to take up his cross. For the Son of Man to have a place to lay his head, the devil must first be cast out. Similarly, Basil the Great noted that disciples of Jesus must learn that God's way takes precedence over our way and that human obligations cannot stand in the way of Christian discipleship. And finally, the early church father Cyprian is puzzled that anyone who has escaped the world that is filled with the devil would want to return to it once again. Why is it then that in the early church these sayings, although they were hard, contain the essence of the faith. And yet in our day, they seem to be extremist and absolute, or at least hyperbolic rhetoric from Jesus. Things that we attempt to soften or to explain away altogether. 
my fellow pilgrims on the journey, my fellow disciples of Him who walked the hard and narrow road to Jerusalem and its cross. Jesus' words to us this day are just as clear now as they were on that day that He spoke them to those individuals recorded in today's Gospel lesson. He specifically said, follow Me. We know the path. We know where the journey will end. We know that there is no other way that leads to eternal life except to follow Him. And so we follow Him wherever He goes before us. We follow Him who leads us by His own suffering and death on the cross through all of our sufferings, through all of our crosses, to resurrection and to life everlasting together. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. In the holy name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.